Hey everybody, welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Linky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Mussett, and um, this is, uh, you know, what is it, day 12 of... Um, is it already day 12? That can't yeah, I think be we've right. been. I think we've been in the. I think we've been in the pod for like twelve days or something. Well, the city of Boulder has been locked down for longer than the county, so I've been grounded for less time than you have. Man, it really does feel like grounding. <laughs> I feel like, like, hey, everybody, you've been throwing too big of a party. You know what? All you get to do now is go to the grocery store and anything else essential, but you don't get to hang out with your friends. You got to clean your room. Yeah. You know, do the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, that's what I feel like a little bit. I love know? it. I kind of love it. I didn't think I would, I, but I, and I'll, don't, you know, ask me in three weeks how I feel, but I'm, we've kind of settled into a groove and like, we got a little thing going on and I'm kind of happy. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, I think about the like very extroverted people of the world and mm. I'm like, man, I, I feel bad for them because yeah, like, that's tough. Cause like, man, in my, in my younger days, I was, I was like, man, I was an extrovert. I was doing it, man. I, I like lived the absolute unabashed social life, you know? <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, then I got a little older and uh, I realized that, um, I really like, um, spending time alone in my room. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, uh, reasonable. <laughs> you know, it, it it's just kind of it's just kind of the way I, I feel, and and you know what I just embrace it. And right now, like I, this week, I, I made a hat. I like spend <laughs> I spent a whole day making a single hat. What it was like? What manner of hat? Um, you know how I have the those like railroad engineer caps uh-huh, that uh, uh-huh. ha- yeah, that's it's like an octagon with a sweatband or like a band around it. Not sweatband. <laughs> that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you it so, would deal with sweat, I assume. Yeah, it was. And initi- it's in- yeah, it was just it was just wonderful. But after when I was done, I was like, I will be I will be a hat maker. And I started looking at haberdashery supplies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> come on, I just threw down some haberdashery on you. And you I know don't even know what to, I don't know how to recover from it. It's no, it's wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, awesome. Well, hey, we are into the fifth Sunday of Lent. We are. We are. Um, and uh, I don't know if we're going to be back together by Easter. No, I don't need that. I think it was a, I think it was a pipe dream on, on my part, you know? No, I mean, it was, you, you got, I'm also realizing like you have to set incremental goals. Like I can't, I can't actually wrap my brain around the entirety of this because we don't know what's at the other end. So I like the idea of incremental, we'll reassess it this date. We'll do this much and then we'll kind of go from there. You even did that with the staff, you know, with because we're technically on kind of a spring break, and you were like, "All right, let's have the spring break. Let's reconvene next week, and let's kind of go from there." And I—that's I, the only way I can kind of stay sane in this. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, it's just like I'm just gonna do what's in front of me, yep. and yeah. yeah. I, I, but I'm really excited to see all of the people again uh, after we get a little bit of this. Yeah. So, but I also know that there's lots of people out there struggling. So if you're struggling. Hey, our hearts are with you. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I know that uh, there's there's times that I've been like really on the struggle bus. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also know th- know that there's times that uh, that uh, my parochial vicar has been on the struggle bus. Right. Which you can't really drive now because the city's on lockdown. <laughs> so. You cannot drive the struggle bus park, anymore. Park your struggle bus in your carport. Get inside the house. 
<laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and here we go. Here we go. Sorry, I, I, yeah, yeah, Scott, I just, I actually just ran away from the microphone, took the headphones off while you're talking, so I didn't hear everything that you were saying because I got a, a, a pop filter for the microphone. You did so. not miss much. <laughs> well, our first reading is from Ezekiel 37, um, verse 12 to 14. The famous dry bones reading in our responsorial psalm. Um, does it actually talk about the bones? No, we don't get the bones, but it's within the dry bones section. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. It's in, it's, it's in the dry bones section it is, for sure. It is, it is. All right, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 130, verses 1 through 2, 3 through 4, 5 through 6, and 7 through 8, with the response coming from verse 7. Then our uh, Lectura de Segundo mm. um, is uh, from the book of Romans, eight, chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Very good, very good. And the Gospel of John, I don't think this one is as quite as long as last week. Because in my mind, they all get consistently longer as you get toward Easter. But I think this one's slightly shorter than last week's. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Who knows? Anyway, our gospel is coming from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, the raising of Lazarus. 1 through 45, which is, let's be honest, that's a long reading right there, no, man. That's... I mean, I, I, I know that it may not be longer than last week, but man, it's, it's, re it's for real. It might be. I don't know. I, don't, I, I have no, no validation to say that. I don't, I'm not looking at last week's. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, we're just here right now, man. Just be present. <laughs> just be here now. I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I'm so I'm really excited to talk about Ezekiel because I don't get I don't think we get to talk about Ezekiel that often. We don't. I like Ezekiel. He's great, and I had um, I thought of an analogy for Ezekiel that kind of helps to make him make sense. That I'm I'm not sure if it's the right analogy or not. I always get nervous when I think of an analogy that nobody else has said something like this before because <laughs> it makes me feel like it might be on the wrong base. But but <laughs> okay. but hang with me for a second. Okay, so is okay. Ezekiel, um, okay, a couple things about Ezekiel. He, he's a priest, first of all, so he's a prophet, but he's a, a prophet who was also a priest, which is kind of a rare thing. Um, prophets come from kind of all walks of life. Some of them are sort of insiders. Some of them are outsiders. Some of them literally wander in out of the wilderness to kind of speak a word of judgment. Um, but Ezekiel, um, first of all, his name literally in Hebrew means God strengthens, which is kind of cool. So oftentimes prophets, their names embody their message. And so his name means God strengthens. Um, he's a priest and he was taken. So he's writing around the time of the Babylonian exile. Um, okay. But one of the things that's weird about Ezekiel that, that is hard for people to kind of wrap their brains around is that Ezekiel gives all of his prophecies from inside Babylon itself. So, but he's talking about Jerusalem. And so you're thinking, okay, well, if he's giving um, prophecies about the exile from Babylon, isn't it done? Hasn't it already happened? And the answer is no. So Babylon, when they came and destroyed Jerusalem, this was in starting in 586 and kind of spread out from there. They took exiles away in three rounds. So it was um, the battle strategy of Babylon. Uh, many ancient nations from the ancient Near East, they would come in and they would basically take people away in waves. So Babylon came in when they first sacked Jerusalem. They came in and they took basically the people that they wanted, the, the upper class workers and people who were skilled and artisans and things like that, so that they could have the best um, people in their nation. So they hauled them off to Babylon. Ezekiel was in that. He was in that kind of first, or maybe he was in the second round of exiles. Regard, yeah, he was in the second round of exiles. So regardless, he's in Babylon, but he's getting this um, inside view from exile of what's happening in Jerusalem, which is currently still standing. 
and the people who are left in Jerusalem are struggling to kind of get by and figure out what they're doing and, and, and maintain some semblance of normal life as everything is literally in the process of being stripped away from them. And so the reason I say, the reason that's important is that it sounds like right now, actually. Well, it does sound like right now, but the other thing, and I'll get to that in a second, because I think there's a lot of mileage that we can get out of that. Um, yeah. But he, he's given this insider's view. So again, he's in Babylon, but he sees what's happening in Jerusalem, but not in like, not in like a, a, a closed captioned, you know, television screen kind of way. And so he kind of reminds me, the analogy I was thinking of is he's kind of like Revelation. And Revelation is a book in the New Testament that's telling essentially, or at least most of it, is telling the story of what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem on the cross, but it's telling it from a totally different point of view. It's giving an insider's perspective. And so John in Revelation is telling you what's happening from the perspective of the heavenly hosts and from um, you know a spiritual point of view, here's what's happening. And so Ezekiel, in a similar way, He's not, you know, again, it's not like a closed captioned camera that he's just recounting event by event. He's got kind of a spiritual insight. God is allowing him to see the events that are literally taking place historically from God's own point of view, which makes this a really fascinating take on a story that actually, quite frankly, Jeremiah records those same events from Jerusalem. He's watching as the eyewitness. Ezekiel is giving kind of God's point of view, which is... Yeah, kind of a beautiful way of looking at this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, what we talk about with the theory of icons about okay. how how um, icons. The reason why they don't have um, they don't have kind of perspective lines, mm. and all the lines are all over the place, um, uh, is because the the they wanted to to point out that this is not as man sees, yes, which is right. from yeah. a single point of view, but that from yeah. all over so when you're looking at, yeah. at the kind of structures and rocks and ideas and icons it's intentionally done in a way that's not naturalistic so, yeah good so 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 yeah you have jeremiah who kind of is seeing as man sees with a prophetic vision whereas right. he's actually uh, yeah. ezekiel's being invited into the kind of higher realms of seeing himself as, as seeing from the, per, the this kind of wild almost the throne room of god doesn't ezekiel have a actually a, a vision of the throne room i think that's isaiah i mean isaiah definitely does i don't think ezekiel yeah. does in the same way okay um, well well zeke isn't isn't all, he's seeing as god sees but he's not seeing god he's yeah okay i i like it i can hang so the, the, what I want to say with what you said a minute ago, though, his, and I know we're in chapter 37, but I have to say a word about the first chapter. So the, the initial vision, the opening vision, the inaugural vision of the book. Um, so again, we're told he's in Babylon and he sees the glory of God in Babylon. So this, this vision goes on. Um, he's shown basically a chariot. So you remember this? He sees the presence of God, the glory cloud, the Shekinah, essentially, that's on chariot wheels. And they're going in all these different directions, which <laughs> even as he's giving the vision, you can tell it's kind of hard for him to try to explain what he's seeing. But he sees the presence of God on wheels, literally on it, it's mobile. And the reason that this is important is that for the exiles, they're thinking, okay, we've left the Holy Land. We've left the temple. And if we've done that, then that means we're far from God, not just spiritually, but, but physically, right? Because for the ancient Jewish people, these two things were interconnected. For the whole ancient world, right? The gods of each nation, this is a polytheistic world. Israel was alone in the belief that there's one God. But the idea was 
um, the gods of each nation were sort of stuck in a particular locality, right? The Egyptian gods dwell in Egypt, the Persian gods dwell in Persia, etc. And so there's this sense that if you leave the region, you've left your god because he's in the temple and we're here and he's not and we're kind of hosed, right? And so the point of Ezekiel 1 is that there's literally nowhere you can go that God won't be there as well. And so the focus on the wheels in this first vision is literally that God's presence is mobile, right? And, and the question for the ancient Jews is, wait a second, if we're seeing God's glory, which is supposed to be in the temple and we're seeing it here, how can that be? Because what they're seeing, and this is, I think, very beautiful, they're not just seeing, or Ezekiel rather, is not just seeing an image of God's presence, it's seeing an image of God's glory, not just his presence, because yes, we believe he's present everywhere, but he's seeing God's glory, which that's what's believed is specifically in the tabernacle, in Jerusalem. And he is basically seeing, it's almost like the vision he's seeing is that <laughs> wheels have been thrown on the Ark of the Covenant. And somebody put some like training wheels on the Ark of the Covenant, and now it's in motion, right? And it's literally right. come to him, which, I mean, I, I, it's almost... I don't know if this is going to make sense. It's almost laughable to me how appropriate and applicable this is to our situation right now <laughs> of being, we're, we're literally in exile from our churches. We are literally, most of us are literally in exile from the sacrament, from the tabernacles in our churches where the glory of God dwells sacramentally. And now we're right. given in God's providence, which has been planned hundreds of years prior to now, or tens of years at least, <laughs> This this vision. Tens of years. <laughs> well, when they, when they established God, the God's, well, when they established the lector, the lector, the uh, lectionary. Oh, I mean the lectionary. Oh, yeah. oh. When it was put together, that these were the readings that we'd get this. Sunday. Oh, got it. I, I was I was like, well, God's will is permanent and unchanging <laughs> from all of time. He's like he planned this about ten years ago. Well, so the lectionary was made in the sixties, so I think that's <laughs> <laughs> okay. But but I mean the the beauty of that. How do you deal? We have a reading in this particular moment in time of people who are like we have been exiled far from the our tabernacle of God's presence as we are exiled far from our churches and the tabernacles of God's presence. And these readings are saying, no, they, well, I, I guess this isn't really the reading, but knowing the context, I think changes what he says in Ezekiel 37, because that's the whole framework for the book. The whole framework, the whole lens through which we have to read everything else is that no matter where you are in the world, no matter where you feel exiled to or from God's presence is there. It's mobile. It will come in not just his presence, but his glory, his sacramental reality. Now, I don't have the Eucharist in my house. That's not exactly what it means. But right. it also means that we can't just demote it to being like, well, I mean, yes, the sacrament is in the church. And I mean, over there in the Catholic Church and the Tabernacles, that's where God really is. He's kind of in my heart. He's kind of present with me, you know, here in my neighborhood in Louisville as well. But it's, you know, it's just kind of like, eh, he's kind of here. Ezekiel is saying, no, it's not he's kind of here. Yes, it's not the same as the sacrament. And I don't want to in any way downplay the importance of the sacrament. But it's also saying, don't you dare downplay the presence of God and the glory of God that dwells among you. Because God goes wherever the heck he wants to. Which ultimately points ahead toward the sacramental reality of baptism and the fact that we literally have the presence of God dwelling inside of us in a way that we all become mini tabernacles. So that when we are, heaven forbid, exiled from our tabernacles or our churches because of disease or whatever else, 
yeah, God's not stuck there. He's not locked in the building in a way that he can't access us. Yes, it's different. Yes, it doesn't look the same. Yes, it doesn't feel the same, but it's real. That's the whole framework for this book, which I don't know. I can't, I can't say enough about how beautiful I find that. And that is what then leads us to toward the end of the book, this vision in chapter 37 of as Ezekiel is seeing what's happening in Jerusalem, as he's seeing this theological reality of what the temple is and how God is not bound by it, he is then shown this vision far into the future of what will happen next. Now what? And what he sees is this vision, another vision toward the end of this valley of dried out rotting bones that is desolate and deserty and and very, very sad. And he sees the Lord speak his word to these bones and they come back together. They grow muscles, they grow, you know, muscle synapses and everything else. And they, they rise from the dead. And it says, thus says the Lord, this is what we get. Oh, my people, I will open your graves and you will rise from them and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and you rise from them. Oh, my people, I'll put my spirit in you that you may live and I'll settle you back in your land. Thus shall you know that I am the Lord. I have promised I will do it. So, so these readings are saying two things. Number one, it's saying no matter where you are exiled, my presence will be with you. I can come with you. I am mobile. I am not locked to a location. However, locations are also important. There's something about home. There's something about temple. There's something about our gathering as community together. And so I'm also going to take you back to that. And when I do, it says in the reading we get, it's going to be like you rose from the grave. It's going to be like we've come back from the dead. And this is what I keep thinking about when you, when you talk about, you know, that day, that future day that we don't know the date of when we come back to church, when we get to gather again in the liturgy together. And that's going to feel like we came back from the dead, back from our exile, back to our homeland. But it's both. Um, does that make sense? It's really it beautiful. Makes a ton, it makes a ton of sense. I, I, I mean, uh, I we really are exiled right now. I mean, it's 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 something that that especially as an american people we are not we we're not wired to have any sense of this at all yeah we to to be alienated from any freedom in an immediate capacity i mean like we are so far from having that spiritually in our lives that it, this is this is actually a i think for a lot of people like profoundly difficult because yeah. the, we're we're so used to just being able to worship the one true god in freedom whereas it's like no and like there, there's people who are just struggling along i mean and and like going and who are trying to like maintain the essential services of life and yeah. then there's people who are who are going like, oh mm. man, I want to be, I mean, it's like, I'm doing the podcast, you know, in basically the chapel in my house. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I mean, I'm just, I'm staring at the Eucharist now, where it, which is like the, the priestly life that, that uh, God has like actually uh, allowed, which I want to encourage um, all you young <laughs> men out there who mm. are listening to this, like, dude, think about what the world would be like without the priesthood and without the Eucharist. And uh, we're and getting a small taste. And we're all getting right, a small exactly. So, so you're like Jeremiah, and I'm like Ezekiel, because you're still at the tabernacle, and I'm exiled in Louisville. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I actually, it's funny as Scott. I I watched a I I went and I attended mass online, um, just to because I was like, man, okay, I know I know what this mm. is. I know what it's like to be able to say, say mass and mm. and not be alien from it. And I, it. It's there's something odd there, but then I was like, I'm just gonna actually go and I'm gonna 
pay attention and I'm going to attend mass and and uh, man it, it's a there, there's something actually really holy about it yeah like there's there's like a presence of God that is actually very real and there's this sense of how the glory of God actually permeates beyond into everything, into the very hearts of our homes, and yeah. and we become aware of it. But at the same time, there, there's also a, a struggle of saying like, no, th- but this isn't natural. And yeah. I, actually, I'm getting this hit of an icon, like this 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 iconography of saying like, well, that's actually a little bit of what the taste yes. of the difference between being in, in our on our earthly land towards uh, being on a sojourn on on a pilgrimage towards our heavenly land like in a certain sense we're getting a real shot of like this is what earthly life is like it's like it's a little bit separated even though that there are these tribal these trappings of 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 like the glory of god you yeah know? absolutely absolutely but which are meant to make us long for more which is it's right. doing its job hopefully yeah, hopefully it is. Um, Which brings us into our psalm. Yeah, Psalm one thirty. Uh, two things I want to say about Psalm one thirty, if I could. It is both a penitential psalm and one of the psalms of ascents, songs of ascents, and so uh, ascent, not um, a sense of something. <laughs> not like not like the th- olfactory nerve. <laughs> yes. So um, it's believed historically, and this is, I think this is kind of cool. So it's believed that Psalm 130 was probably written after the exile. So after they had come back from what Ezekiel is talking about, um, reflecting back on the experience of being in exile, saying it starts, what we don't get this in our reading this week, but it starts by saying, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive, O Lord, uh, to my cry for mercy. So in other words, out of my exile, Lord, hear my voice. Don't be absent from me. Be, be present. Um, and then it, it goes on, talks about with you where there's forgiveness, all these things. But if it is if it is composed after the exile, it's thinking precisely to exactly what Ezekiel said. And it's saying, yeah, no, this is this is what was promised. This was what God told us. And now we have kind of come back from the dead. It's not, at this point, the, the exile is not completely over really until Jesus comes and sets us free from our sin. And there is a sense of that, but there also is a sense of like, oh, you did, you came through, you brought us back. And so it's also what's called a song of ascent. And so in the tradition, as you would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple for the, the pilgrim feasts, there are a stream of psalms that you were to pray as you were ascending the steps of the temple toward the Holy of Holies, toward the presence of God. And this is one of them. So, so it was put in the canon of the scripture as a way of reflecting as we are approaching the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, the sacramental dwelling where God is, these are the things that we should be reflecting on as we come closer to him. We know our exile. We get what it means to be without you or to feel like we're without you. And now we know what it is for you to have brought us home and brought us out of these things. And so I think it's a really, it's really significant historically kind of where this psalm sits. Because then again, what is it saying? With the Lord, there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Don't forget, because... Reflecting on the exile, the only good reason to reflect on the exile is to prepare us when inevitably human beings go into a kind of exile again. And we need to rely on God in a way that we can't see him again. The, the reason that you remember history is that not only so you're not doomed to repeat it, but then when we do inevitably repeat it, we don't make the same mistakes of forgetting what they mean, right? And so right. it's, it's saying, yeah, no, this is because you're right. In, in our American experience, this is so foreign to us. 
But in the human experience, having that sense of exile or something taken away from us, it's not foreign at all. We're just a very young country and a very young culture, which is why it's important to tap into these ancient things of people who have experienced exile, who have experienced physical separation from their worship life, because that's not foreign to the human experience. And that's where we have to kind of go a little beyond ourselves, which I don't think as human beings we like to do very much, but where we, even the liturgy has all of this resource for us. It's like, oh, this is the situation you're in? Cool. I've got a million resources for you to tap into right now so you can make sense of this time. Absolutely. I, I like this line. I mean, more than sentinels for the daybreak, let Israel hope mm. in the Lord. Like, like you know, we're just waiting for dawn. Like, yeah. what is the dawn going to be like when we get to see again and the, the experience the warmth and yeah. and, uh, it, and and allow that to grow? And so we're just waiting like sentinels just saying like, oh, I want the darkness to end and I want the I want this dawn from on high. And so there's also in the. Yeah. Well, that's good. The sentinel. There's also a sense of we're waiting for the sentinels, right? We're we're. I mean, we're all. I don't. I'm assuming you are too. But I'm checking Facebook every day. I'm like, okay, what happened today? What's new? What's the new news? Has there been a new announcement? Are the sentinels? Oh, yeah. There's a helplessness of like, okay, what did our governor say today? What what's? Are we coming out of this? Do they have a date yet? What are the sentinels telling me? Because right. I don't. I'm helpless here. I'm actually stuck in my house, and I don't have authority to change this. And more than, so, so translate it into the modern world, more than waiting for Governor Polis to tell us an end date, we wait for the Lord, right? To tell us <laughs> in, in, a, in a beautiful sense, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, in the, in the, in the kind of holiest sense. Yeah. The, yeah. And there's, yeah. there's a goodness to that. So we go into Romans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, which is um, a real, I mean, this, is, this one is very direct. It's, it's like, <laughs> it is. Um, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like, wow. Okay, well, straight up. We start, we start that way. It's got to be noted, though, just on a technical level, what Paul means when he uses the word flesh. It's the, the Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And Paul, confusingly enough, partially because Greek has a small vocabulary, so one word can mean a lot of different things. Um, Sarx has two meanings, and Paul goes back. Are you being, and f- are you being sarcastic ah, about that? I wonder ah. if there's any relation etymologically to that. It, there is it, it, actually sarcastic means to, um, to to tear flesh. Oh, so yeah. there is a connection there. You, thank you for that. <laughs> but, but and I'm not being he, and I'm not being sarcastic about that either. Ah, you're ah. not tearing my flesh. Thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. But he does use the term in different ways. And this is, I I do think people get tripped up by this. When Paul is talking about those who are in the flesh cannot please God, he doesn't mean in the body. He doesn't mean we are physical. He's not Gnostic, right? He's not saying spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. He means in this sense, um, the flesh, the sarks in the sense of our broken humanity, our wounded humanity. And so he's saying those who basically stay locked in our sin We can't please God, not because God doesn't like us, but because we're just not able to. But when we tap into the spiritual reality, so basically he's saying when the spirit and because the flesh in and of itself is is not is not bad because elsewhere the scriptures talk about Jesus took on flesh. He took on humanity. So there's a neutrality to it. But this is saying, okay, as long as you stay in your brokenness, as long as you um, wallow in your own sinfulness and brokenness and sorrow, you're not going to get anywhere. 
but God has given you this ability. This is where we're back to Ezekiel, right? God has now empowered you. He sent his spirit to animate your humanity, to make your humanity something other than just the brokenness of the sin of Adam and Eve, and now to make you new Adams and new Eves because of who Jesus is. So you're, you're, but again, he's not Gnostic and I just have to go out of my way to point that out. He's not saying body's bad, physical's bad, flesh is bad. He's saying you're broken flesh, you're broken humanity. And when we leave, basically humanity left to our own devices, we're not going to get anywhere, but humanity animated by God's presence, then we can do anything by his grace. And that's really what Ezekiel is all about. As long as we just feel the exile for what the exile is, yeah, we're stuck. But if you can feel the exile and recognize the glory of God is actually mobile and has come among you, well, then we can actually do something with this exile. Then we can make sense out of the suffering. Yeah. And in a certain sense, it's it's like you almost, he says, the body is dead because of the sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. It's, yeah. al- it's almost like, like we can re-inherit the earth. Um, but, but we can use it for all the wrong things. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like, like, I, I kind of like look around and I look at like these, uh, the people who are just like, you know, who are doing crazy stuff and it, against the, um, spirit of like social distancing. Oh, I mean, like, because they're, they're, they're like, like you can say like, okay, what is the spirit of what we're trying to do now is we're trying to actually respect each other on a global level yeah. in a way to be able to help the people who are trying to help the ones who are getting really sick. Yeah. And then there's people who are like, I don't care. I'm YOLO. I'm just going to die. And you're like, no, no. Like what happens is, is that when we, if we re-inherit the earth and mm. we're, and we still approach it with the same spirit of saying, I just get mm. to do with this, whatever I want without yes. consideration of, of, of anybody, then we're, we're missing actually a, yeah. a big global movement of what God is trying to do for us right now. And Abs- what and he's so inviting us to. Right. Yeah. And that's this invitation of saying like, get released of, of what you have crowned above me. I mean, I think that the Corona is actually a very important, I mean, I don't <laughs> want to talk about coronavirus all the time, but like, right, but... what have you crowned above me? Mm. And, and like that, that's actually really what sin is, is like w- when we give to other things, what we should be giving to God. Which is namely ourselves. Because, right. because by its very definition, the, uh, Father Nicanor Ostriaco, remember we brought him out for our great debate last year? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a biologist and a theologian. Um, he's quarantined in Manila right now, but he's been giving, I think, some of the best, most interesting reflections on the internet right now of, of from a biologist and a, and a Dominican theologian of what this all means, because he understands the microbiology of this. But he was talking about how, he was talking the other day about how quarantine and the idea of what we're doing, not just social distance, but like societal quarantine, is profoundly Dominican and Thomistic and by its very definition hinges on the idea of self-sacrifice because it says I am not my own and I actually need to put consideration of the other above my own well-being because it, it is an invitation to self-sacrifice for the greater good. But it was, it was a fascinating right. reflection. If, if seen in that way, I think it can be seen. Yes, is there possibilities of overreach? Is, is there's, are there dangers in it? Yeah, there's dangers in it. But do we have an invitation to die to ourselves in a very real way? Yeah, maybe. I mean, what else? What else are we going to do except try to find where God is at movement, where God is moving in this? 
Right, right. Which I actually think is a perfect lead-in for our gospel. All right. Which is because you, you say like here here's here is um uh here's Jesus and he says okay Lazarus is about to die I'm gonna hang out and let him die oh my gosh I I've yeah sorry I had never really reflected on that until this morning and I was really annoyed by it because he gets he gets word so Jesus is hanging up he's I think he's up in the north it's it's Hanukkah time by the way that's that's when. Um, a lot of, all of John's signs, all of the miracles that John records in his gospel are framed around particular feasts that Israel is celebrating in the context of this. And the raising of Lazarus happens within the context of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah was, of course, what, uh, when the Israelites remember when they were able to get access to the temple again from the Greek empire who had taken it over. And when they rededicate the temple and say, okay, now we can gather again and have our liturgical celebrations rightly. So again, put that in the context of what we're dealing with right now. It actually, um, it adds another bit of flavor. But Jesus in this time period, he's, he's up north. He gets word that one of his best friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are probably... Lazarus are probably Jesus' best friends in the world. He gets word that Lazarus, his, and again, it's not just some dude. It's not just some follower, some guy who is an adherent to his teaching. It's one of his best friends on earth. He gets word that he's very ill. And like you said, Jesus chooses to say, all right, I'm going to hang out for a couple days. I'm going to wait this out. And we know that Jesus knows that he's going to die which is what yeah, Martha has, and Mary are ticked off. Vision. He totally knows, yeah. And Martha and Mary are ticked off about it. Like, they get it. They see right through him. They're like, wait a second. you. We know that if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. So why did you take so long? And I'm so struck by the fact that Jesus chooses to wait it out. And again, in a time that we're all, not to make everything about the coronavirus, but in a time that we're all kind of stuck waiting it out, the fact that we're given this insight into a God who seems perfectly content waiting things out so that he can show his glory in these ways that we never expect. But he hangs right, out and he actually, lets it happen. Right, actually, so that we can begin to be like Ezekiel and get a vision of God's glory. Because what is he, he and he, we go through kind of the whole thing um, here until finally he's, he's like, he's like, no, this is not meant to end in death. And they're like, hold on, sleeping and death. They, everybody's getting confused. Oh, they're so confused. He, he, so am I, as I'm reading, and I'm confused too. Because <laughs> right, I think John wants you to feel that a little bit. Like, wait, what? Right. Yeah, he wants it to, you to go through it yes. because that's actually God doesn't just somehow give us some sort of intellectual version of how things should be. Yes. God breaks into our lives and touches us in the very center of our flesh, of, yes. of, of our very bodies. This is this is all the sacramental nature of reality has always been this. This is actually what we're meant to live. And so so like he so even in reading this, you're supposed to get a little tired and like a little frustrated and you're like, how long is this going to keep going on? And then all this stuff and there's crying and back and forth. It's a good this is a movie in and of itself. Yeah. Oh absolutely. And, and but but what happens is that he he's doing this so that we can see 
God's glory. That's why I look and yes. I say, okay, what is the purpose of, of what's happening right now in our lives? Is this so that we can get a, a view into what God's glory is going to be? Because we're not yet there. They had to go through it. They had to watch their brother die and mourn him. And everybody was like trying to comfort them. And then they're, and then Jesus is like, no, no, this is actually meant for something so much greater. So keep paying attention. And that actually, I think, is the spirit that we're meant to have right now. And not, not I mean, and, and there's all sorts of reasons and all sorts of, conspiracies and struggles and and political things and economic things but at the core what we're supposed to do is is not worry about um how this has happened but you, to ask this question why, why? what is this why? for what is this vision that the, what is a vision of god's glory that we're going to be able to receive because the exile was horrible babylon babylonian exile was awful the death of lazarus is awful like the the struggle in rome of, of fleshliness is awful mm. and yet all of these means are how we actually still see the glory of god today well, and that, that line that you just talked about, it's in chapter 11, verse 4, what Jesus, he says it's not unto death, but what he also makes clear is that, just evidentially, death has to occur, occur for God's glory to be revealed. Right. And I, that's where I, I keep getting kind of stuck in that, right? And that is the paradigm that he gives. We have to, the exile, and you can get into the theological debate of, okay, of having to. Does God have to do anything? I don't know. But he does it so that the glory is revealed. I'm struck by the fact that Lazarus, I've never really thought about this until today, Lazarus actually becomes a sacrament of Jesus. He embodies, literally embodies, what Jesus will do and who Jesus is. So he is a small mm. s sacrament of Christ. Because, you know, you have the paradigm of not dying, the, the rising, you have, what do you have? You have Mary's weeping at the tomb in both places, right? You have mm. Jesus coming and saying, where have you laid him? Which exactly parallels what's said later. Where have you laid him? Tell me where you've laid him, what Mary, said, Mary Magdalene says. You have a stone rolled over the entrance of the tomb. You have a shrouded body, a shroud literally wrapped over the head. And then not to mention, I mean, what happens? So if you, if you cut to the chase and get, get ahead of the story... Jesus does come. It says he's been dead for four days, which, you know, legally speaking in the Roman world, to be dead for three days was the only time that you could legally pronounce someone dead. You had to be dead for at least three days before you could make a legal proclamation and issue a death certificate because medicine just wasn't that great back then. And they were like, well, <laughs> we, may, we may have made a mistake. Maybe he's just sleeping really deeply. Yeah. But if it's, if it's been three days, then we can call it. So it's the day after they've called it. And everyone's like, man... We, we missed it. And you, were, you took two days to get here. Um, but what does he do? He goes in. He calls Lazarus, which is this huge parallel of God calling us out of the tombs on the last day. Calls Lazarus, brings him back from the dead. But what's interesting about this, and there's so much more we could say, it's Lazarus being raised from the tomb that, at least according to John, this is the breaking point. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back for the Pharisees and the scribes and those who end up putting Jesus to death. They're like, okay, you healed some blind people, you performed stuff on the Sabbath, that really ticked us off, but this, this is too much. And it's the raising of Lazarus from the dead which ends up being the cause of Jesus' death. So what does Jesus do? He takes Lazarus' death away from him and takes it upon himself because mm. that will be what leads him to the crucifixion. 
which is such mm. a massive paradigm of the entirety of the spiritual life. But again, Lazarus does have to go through it before he is then freed of it because he needs to sort of feel it for whatever reason God chooses to do that. We need to feel the exile. We need to experience it so that we really appreciate what it is God is taking away from us. So that we can appreciate Easter Sunday after Good Friday. So we can appreciate the return from exile after you've been in it. So we can appreciate coming back together for the Mass that's not online because we understood how lacking it was when we didn't have it. And God says, it's okay to feel that. It's actually all right to feel the grief and the sorrow over these things. But also to put total, don't grieve as, what does Corinthians say, right? Don't grieve as the pagans do, as if you don't know where the end is going. Jesus, I mean, maybe the most striking thing about this whole story is that Jesus knows precisely what he's going to do, right? He knows that Lazarus is going to come back. He knows that this is going to be this profound sign, this sacrament of what he's going to do. He knows all of what's about to happen, and yet he weeps anyway. He knows he's literally about to raise this guy from the dead, and still he weeps over the loss of his friend. Which is so strange to me that you can actually grieve over something that you know is going to get better. Because grief just Mm. seems like something that's very definitive. But Jesus says, it's okay to grieve even though you know that I'm going to bring you out of this. Because it's okay to feel the sorrow in the moment. It's okay to feel the sorrow of the exile even though you know it's not going to last forever. And that's, that's really freeing to me. To feel like, yeah, we can actually feel the sorrow of this. And that doesn't mean we've lost our faith in where God is taking us. Amen. Uh, that's uh, that's absolutely the truth. I, I, I was thinking about this. I was like, this this whole thing is going to end in one of two ways. Okay? <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Either the whole world is done and this is the final judgment. <laughs> okay. And then we, fi- and then we get to go to Mass in heaven. Okay. Or it's not. And then we get to go to Mass again in our churches. So, like... Basically, we're, we're yeah, you know, that's, that's <laughs> it, it, the only two ways out of this. Yeah, that's the only two ways out of this. It's either the door or the window. So, like, it's, a, <laughs> but it's like, uh, yeah. so, so, I, so, I mean, there's, so there's kind of a great joy. That's all, all, that's where we're heading. And yet we have to go through it and we have to struggle through with what all, all of that means. And, and uh, I, I think that that's the, the blessing of being our, our, our being Catholic, being yeah. in our lives and and not to be in the flesh in its sinful way, but to be in the body, knowing that, yes, we're going to go through all of this. But Jesus has 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 experienced this exile. He could no longer go yeah. freely into any town yeah. because he touched the leper because yes, right. he actually encountered the he encountered sickness but but when he encounters sickness he actually becomes the solution and bears it in himself yes. until finally yes. um he he actually takes it flips it on its head and turns it into the glory of god and so all of this can the, the, the lord the lord took the absolute worst sin in the entire world yeah. flipped it on its head and turned it into the greatest grace to where we can actually see the most profound heart of god and and yeah. and so he's he is with us and and all of the things that we're going through and and he will take the dry bones and he will reconstitute them um, not in a fleshly way, but in a sacramental way, yeah. in, a, in the way that where we get to return and to receive reality again and to, yeah. to have our inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Thank you also for giving me the name of the podcast this week. Which is what? Either the door or the window. Either the door or the window. <laughs> oh, you guys are wonderful. Thanks for joining us. Um, 
Uh, keep tuning in yeah. um, week after week. We, we will uh, continue to podcast um, even if uh, unto the end of the world. So there we go. <laughs> That's a big commitment. So let's be careful with that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, or, or until it's not right for us to do it anymore. Yeah, that's fair. It's <laughs> <Okay>. a <laughs> reasonable expectation. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Absolutely. God bless y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.